What is going on, everyone, around this wonderful, exciting, eventful galaxy? Welcome back to Octo Radio, the Star Wars podcast, where we are once again playing with time because we're recording this in the past, where Book of Boba Fett is not over. High Republic Trail of Shadows is not over. When you hear this, they will be over. Uh, So if you're like, hey, something crazy happened. Why wasn't this addressed specifically with today's guest? That would be why. Um, But it is still a very exciting time to be a Star Wars fan, even with everything we have up until this exact moment. New novels, new comics, tons of new characters, um, new exciting revelations, things that were revealed during like High Republic one year anniversary panel about, you know, just a casual time jump backwards, you know, things like that stuff that we'll we'll get into today uh, as much as we can. Our guest today has bestowed on me the reputation of the space Chris Hayes, um, <laughs> even though I, I will not try to be that scoop guy. But I see there's a resemblance. Uh, and that guest today is uh, the king, the king of Twitter, the wielder of the cannon gavel. Uh, the author of such Star Wars books as Last Shot, Race to Crash Point Tower, Midnight Horizon. He's got the upcoming Ballad and Dagger. He's got Flood City. He's got tons of stuff. And, you know, just very casually, he's also a new dad. Comic book writer, author, scribe, rocker of scarves. Daniel Jose Older, back on the show. Hey, that was a great intro. Thank, I'll thank be you. That's awesome. Yes, it is I. Great to be here. Welcome back, my friend. Uh, it is exciting. This is the third time you've been on the show. Mm-hmm. And what's great is that every time you come back, something that was teed up in a previous episode, naturally, then hey. pays off. That's and true. So something where it was like, oh, let's, you, know, you, you might see something like this. Then I'll drop our episode a month later. I'm like, oh. And then it's like mental notes for the next time. And that's across everything that you do. Uh, Midnight Horizon, you told me. I don't remember if it was on or off air, but you told me this is my this is my best one. This is my Star Wars banger thus far. And I'm inclined to agree. Trail of Shadows was maybe an issue out. Maybe. Maybe just a preview. And yeah. you, we, you, we hyped that up. And we talked mm-hmm. about the, the noir influence. And now, my goodness, I never thought that it would be... Like, I knew that they would let you go hard. But I didn't <laughs> think that they would let you go... lounge singer death you know all of this narration giving a whole arc to the crazy scientist doctor and the (laughs) underground and so everything has really popped off and and adventures of course too um with things that what if i wrote a bake-off special so you've been very busy uh and i guess my first question is how does it feel to have that many different tones going on and that many different projects going on and what advice have you taken from the Charles Soule school of never sleeping and just, <laughs> and just constantly writing things at all times? <laughs> the advice is sleep because <laughs> I'm quite sure that Charles and I both get our good, uh, at least try to get, you know, a good eight hours. And that's how we're able to do it. And in all seriousness, though, uh, I, I do find the uh, one um, kind of habit that I picked up during quarantine was to take weekends very seriously. Mm-hmm. And that... Um, this isn't why I do it, but one unintended result of that is it actually made me much more productive. Hmm. Um, having a set, like if you, if you just really have that as like, that's when it's not going to be work time. Um, I just find that like once I, once I came to trust that, that I wouldn't work weekends, it allowed me to, I don't want to say, it sounds like such a workaholic thing, but and then I could work harder during the week. It, it's not like that. I just like, I just had a much more, I had more clear boundaries between like yeah. work life and non-work life, which is really important when you work at home. Um, even more important when there's other people in that home. Yeah. 
And so, you know, I, I highly recommend sleeping. <laughs> but, no, you're um, not wrong. Yeah. You're not yeah. wrong. And, and immediately, yeah. like, not to be like, forget life, Star Wars. But it's something that I think about, particularly with you and the Star Wars corner that you carve out in the higher public, right. which is intentional or not, you can feel that in the characters. I mean, that that to me is sort of like buckets of blood doing the rumble race and things like that, where it's like, right. hey, th- these kids are about to have a really hard life. Uh, there, right. this is a life of, as Yoda has said, like, you know, the, the greatest commitment and the most serious mind. And sometimes you got to race. Sometimes you got to eat. Sometimes yeah. you got to relax. I mean, like, like balance isn't just a, a pretty word that people say to sound cool, right? It's not just a tattoo that someone gets. Like it, it matters, right? And if all things are balanced in the force and the forces in all things, then we have to find balance in all things is what it comes down to. And I think like the characters do that. And I'm very intentional when I'm, like I, I try to take care of my characters as much as I put them through hell. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's, I will say that that's contrary to a lot of writing advice. Writing advice often tells you like you have to be a sadist. It's everything, the worst possible thing that can happen, you have to make it happen. And I think there's, there's validity to that. And you do have to put your characters through the ringer um, to some extent. But I yeah. think that it's boring. You risk being boring if that's all that's ever happened, right? If they're just going through hell constantly, um, it's also just exhausting to read, you know, like, and I think you see that across the initiative, like even in all of our books, Darkest Hours, there is lightness, there is fun, there is geode, you know, there is yeah. all these different elements and that's so important. That is balance, you know, and that, it really hit me yesterday. I was listening to the Fulcrum podcast and they were talking about how, how nice it was to see Comac set a clear boundary with Reith when he's struggling and Reith comes to be like, let me help you. Comac is like, no, like you are my Padawan. I have an adult right here that I can talk to that doesn't hit, you don't have to take that on. And I was like, you know, I didn't, I didn't totally do that consciously, but I'm really happy that it came through as like this really healthy boundary and that we don't have to constantly just be like finding the worst possible scenarios for our characters to be <laughs> in order to like create tension. Like, there's plenty of tension in Midnight Horizon without characters being dysfunctional with each other. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And it comes across, I mean, there's so much, you know, building off that Comac example, which was beautiful. And I think that that pairing, the way mm-hmm. it started and in Into the Dark and the way it's flourished across and mm-hmm. you know, the great baton between the Luminous writers, right. has really shown the, the great Star Wars theme of you can still learn even from your student and continuous improvement and all that. Exactly. But the parents of the higher public both literal and you know, figurative, <laughs> right. are so interesting because you look at someone like Affy Hollow and right. her adoptive mother, Scoverbine, right. massively hurtful and disappointing relationship. Uh, right. Then you see that in the Staros family. You see that in the Yarrow family. You see that happening a lot. You see that with Crix and, yeah. you know, and the elders and like the way that they were... Yes. Zine and Crix are two different emotional responses in a lot of ways to... Um, to some uh, sheltering, would put it lightly. Um, and <laughs> <laughs> I think that it's interesting to see sort of the positives and negatives approaches to parenting and how people have their different takeaways. And it makes me think of a character that I would like to stand on the, on the, on the side of the road at Star Wars Celebration with a sign that says, talk about Obra Tuck. Because <laughs> when we last spoke, this is one of those things. Yeah. We spoke and you said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a, you're you're going to meet his master coming up soon. Mm-hmm. You're going to meet Farsala's master. But, yeah. you know, I can't say much about it. And I was like, oh, okay. Then we met him in that, in that wonderful arc. And there is that scene about, which is so, it's so fatherly. It's so mythic because you get to play with a really long-lived character. And the, the symbolism of, the, this is my way of representing all the Padawans that I outlived that 
came, I helped raise them. They had their lives, they passed. And, and I, I go on and the amount of perspective and, and sort of like majesty to that guy. So tell me about that and how much you think about sort of what you're giving the younger generation and, and both the actual younger generation, because you're mm-hmm. writing all ages, but also right. the, the kids that you've made up. Right. Um, and then also, you know, there's that small factor of you actually having a child now. Right. <laughs> which, which, you know, literally physically small chapter, big heart. <laughs> right. No, totally. It's First of all, I will tell you, in, in light of all the things you've mentioned about things that I've mentioned that come true, there is more Obertuck ahead. Ooh. But that's all I'm going to say about that. Um, yeah. I love I love Obertuck a lot. And, and that scene, I think of that scene as kind of the beginning of my writing about my fatherhood without fully realizing it, right? Because mm-hmm. that was certainly a moment of, of fatherly love, you know, between a, a master and, and his apprentice. Um, and, and, and I also just think of it as like a real moment of just trying to really wrap our heads around in a practical way. What does it mean to believe in the living force or to believe in life after death at all or spirituality, you know, any of these levels of, of life? Like fear is part of all of that. And I, I think it's normal. I think, we, you know, we don't have a choice but to accept it and then deal with it and confront it and kind of move on from it and feel it again. But I also think, you know, when we really lean into our understanding of spirituality, of the force as, as this great, powerful thing, whatever, you know, our particular tradition is, it can be very transformative in our understanding, both of death, but more importantly of life, right? Mm-hmm. Like if we, if we understand death to be a natural part of life and a, and a way of us to progress towards a different state of existence, then it does change how we live. And I think that's what Farzal is really understanding through the guidance of a, a creature that lives for way more time, centuries more than any human ever will. And exactly what you said, you know, the philosophies that come from that. I actually thought you were going somewhere else with this question. I thought you were going to bring up the Angwa family and the mm. fact that Crash actually has a mom who she loves and is still alive and hasn't been chopped in half by anybody. Or like. Well, that's that's like, yeah, that's the other way, right? Where it's like, oh, that's surprisingly nice like that's where it just it's sort of but actually if i did that on purpose because there's so few living like okay parents in star wars and i did not but i love that yeah no it it definitely it plays in a way where i mean and and crash both on the real world level of being you know an actual (laughs) tribute uh to a friend to Alyssa wong but then like the way that uh, the character plays into midnight horizon it's you're great at and it's a great you know dovetail off of someone like obertuck mythic centuries old being i think even like a thousand years old hibernates sleeps has the sabers of all these warriors right and it's like also over here i'm i'm working security in a big city right like like and my mom lives in a swamp <laughs> yeah yeah it's like all the way down to like the 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 not small players but players that are not um wrapped up uh, in fantasy people. and that's the that's the power of someone like cn too uh, I say Cian. I know we talked about this last time. Is like there's always the great pronunciation debates of everything. I think I say I say Cian too. Yeah, I say Cian. I, I've heard people say Cyan, and it's like it's not you know it's you know whatever Nainub Nianub whatever. But yeah, I mean with with their perspectives on the ground and everything, of course right. it's well documented, especially through buckets that you know your experience actually working in the city, saving lives, doing all this stuff. How valuable is it to you to balance out your big myths because you write a ton of Jedi, a ton mm. of them. Mm-hmm. And, and probably per like head count, maybe more than anyone has, uh, just in terms that. of like that Bake Off special. By the right. time everybody gathered around, right. you're like, wow, look at this. Like, it's like 25 people. Yeah. Um, so yeah. what is, how is important it to you is to balance that out. Like, I know that 
when I first became acquainted with your work, it was through Han and Lando. Right. And, right. and those are sort of the forefathers of regular guys. Right. <laughs> no, totally. That, I think that's what, that, I'll speak for myself, but what you just touched on is exactly what I love the most about Star Wars is that balance, right? Come back to the word we keep coming to, but in a whole different way. Like if Star Wars was just the Jedi, I just, I wouldn't be as interested in it. And that's no shade on the Jedi. It's just that it's so, it's such a full world. And then because there are scoundrels, because there are regular people, because there are, you know, there's all these politics, like all these other very real world things, it makes the Jedi shine even more. And it, it, and it gives us a real sense of like, just I, honestly, I think it's what makes it feel the most real. And that's what's so cool about it, you know, but I also go into it very much aware of that. And like, that's really where Crash comes from as a character was on a superficial level to, to have someone show us around Corelli, Coronet City. Um, and on a plot level to have, you know, someone that would give us not just an ability to see around the city, but a deep understanding of the politics and the internal politicking and corruption and how to maneuver through that. But also like it was to, she really exists to provide a certain balance to all that like goody goody Jedi stuff that's going on, which is Mm -hmm. like, you know, complex in its own right, for sure, but in a very particular Jedi way versus the complexity of like a, a person dealing with very real world non-Jedi stuff, not a monk, who doesn't have the force, has to pay her bills, has to deal with all kinds of like, you know, difference in class status and everything else and mm-hmm. competition in her business and family legacy and all that. Um, those are the things that make Star Wars great is having both of those things in one book and having them actually literally in conversation with each other. Yeah, and it's such a great point too. I mean, because on that, like you said, on those plot levels and just on that sort of, if somebody's engaging with a story for the first time, it adds... Uh, they complement each other and, and it adds sort of a, a majesty to the Jedi where if they if it was nothing but them, would they stand out and would their story be as compelling? And then on the other side, if it was just the scoundrels and everything, then is there an aspirational element as much? Is there something, you know, is, does, does it fall too much into being Babylon 5, Star Trek? Like, is is it does it lose its fantasy-ness? Right. Um, which is an interesting balance. And you've got characters on both sides and then... Maybe my film. No, I was gonna say my favorite Daniel Jose original, but then I remembered Peekpa. So if I put Peekpa <laughs> on the shelf, if I put Peekpa on the shelf in the in the, in the, in the trophy case up here uh, right. as an all timer, uh, the higher public it's probably Zine. Who, oh yeah, for me personally love Zine. love Zine, the precious angel. Uh, yeah. And in the same way that it's great to. Uh, having grown up reading either YA fantasy or, or having right. watched seasons of a show, um, suddenly phase is coming to a close and you're like, oh, these are young adults now. I thought they were kiddos. Mm. And, and they're, they're, they're sort of in that high school age bracket. Right. And Zine rides that line. Visually, Zine's yeah. got a sick-ass Star Wars jacket now. Right. Zine's got dual, dual blaster pistols and yes. uh, got those elements of look, I'm not a Jedi Knight. I only wielded Ram Saber for like five seconds uh, in, in Crash Point Tower. But at the same time, I have a very firm foot in the fantasy. And so she sort of lets you have both. And I'm curious sure. for her and for all of these kids, mm-hmm. how have they grown up and talked back to you in maybe ways mm-hmm. you didn't expect? Because I hear that about creating characters in general, particularly with youth. 
Right. Oh, no, absolutely. That's, that's really interesting because it was a very specific sort of time jump in the Avengers run where I was really like, okay, this is that moment when we all get back from summer break and some of us have grown up and some of us haven't. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know how that happens in high school? Oh, it's yeah. like seventh, eighth grade and then it's ninth and tenth grade. And, you know, all these little leaps that people make at different moments, like this kid's voice changed or whatever. And I really wanted that to happen in the very specific moment. Basically, after the events of wave two right like so they because they separate right they go uh zine and lula go off to balo and farzala and court are dealing with nal hata and all the all that stuff so when they come back together it's been a couple months and they've all grown up a little bit and that was a very specific note that i gave to tony bruno who was taking over art for that part of the run um when we came to issue eight issue eight it's literally called together and back again because they meet back up at the starlight and blah 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 and i was like you know take these characters that harvey has beautifully rendered and age them up a year like just give them make them real teenagers now yeah. except for court because court's just a little guy you know? <laughs> well because also because that is when we find court and in his coming of age moment you know right. like, when he grows up so all those things were at play and and it was something i was very conscious about also knowing that we were going to go from a middle grade right in the middle of the initiative to a YA at the very end of the phase, rather. Yeah. And, and, and I knew that. I knew that was coming, and I knew that it was going to be a really cool opportunity to watch these kids grow up and become who they were going to be, to tell an epic love story, a slow burn love story along the way, and to bring in a character like Ram, who's just a little dumpling <laughs> and continues to be a little dumpling, who also has gone through war and now has to deal with being a little dumpling in war. Yeah, and Ram brings in that that element that's also, you know, in terms of there are some of these characters that to me represent I ideas of the entire initiative there's some of this going on in the manga which we'll talk about in edge of balance um which has tie-ins to ideas of displacement and being war-torn and and seeking refuge and ram sort of is the kid that's like hey the fair was really terrible but i also lived there <laughs> like it was right, so right. you know it, it was right. also like i i am now thrown into this i'm the new kid on starlight right. i came in later it's like you know, when, when, when someone joins in season two or maybe mid-season <laughs> character, like, and, totally. and they embraced him lovingly, but he sort of has that sort of, that jolt to his innocence where suddenly it's like, you're in the world, kid, you got to do this now. And there's a lot of that across the, the higher public with the adults where it's a firm balance, like we talked about up top with balance between giving yourself moments of peace, but also we need to treat these kids with tenderness. Right. And at the same time, there's going to come moments where it's like, okay, you're, you're leading this, which is a big thing with Cantum and, and Lula, yeah, right. um, which was, you're so proud reading yes. that. But you also, to me, I, I felt maybe, maybe I felt more fear than Cantum did. Maybe they were more confident, but I felt sort of a parental, like, this is a big roll of dice. Right. Like, especially because I know how much pressure this kid puts on herself. Uh, so what are right. those moments like of having to balance out your adults with your kids and, and knowing sort of when to let them go? No, that's that's a big part of it, right? And and, and like, I always think about, I know there's a lot of kind of excitement for this idea of like a, a lot of like master and apprentice storytelling, which I totally understand. But I just think it's so important in, in for my particular philosophy of young people literature that like the young people really have to be out there to some extent on their own. Um, I don't think that means we have to kill all parents the way that YA literature has famously done a little too much of. And I think there's creative ways that we can find to do that. And that's what I've really tried to do with this run. Um, across the board is like, 
have these really great adults around that they can turn to for help and that they trust that don't exceed their boundaries in any kind of messed up ways, um, but also that don't get in the way of the decision making of the kid. <laughs> Having a mission with like Lula and Canton together, I'm not saying it'll never happen. I'm just saying like for a story about young people, the young people have to be making the decision and not in the way where it's like, well, go ahead. What are you going to do now? Right. That's still not, you're still like, you have a guardian, <laughs> like being yeah. there. And I, I think always randomly, it makes me think of the, um, of being a medic student, actually, you know, uh, when you're a medic student, you, you're, you're in a year of training, really, you've already gotten your EMT and you're now like ready to level up and you're studying anatomy and physiology and pharmacology and all this stuff day in and day out. And you're doing rotations in the ER and the L&D unit, all this, but mostly on the ambulance. And when you're doing that, you know, as you're getting towards the end of it, you are allowed to kind of run the show and that's mm. sort of your you know, test of like, can you do this? Yeah. And then like, all right, you know, here's a real living patient with having a real you know, potentially cardiac incident or whatever it may be, you have to now run this job. But there's always going to be a moment when if you step in the wrong direction, that other, the actual medic on scene is going to be like, no, 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 don't do that. Please don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh my God, what are you doing? You know, right? So like, yeah. but to my mind, like, and then having done that and then become a medic, like that's like what makes you a medic is the actual decision making more than anything else. No, no amount of like knowing how to put an IV in or knowing what to put in the IV or medical like information that you memorized. None of that adds up to anything compared to what it means to make a decision on the scene about someone's life and death and how you're going to treat their illness. And that's true of kids. That's true of young people. And the moments in their lives that matter the most are the ones that they, the decisions they make without us around. And that's hard. It's heartbreaking, right? Especially when you care about them. And that's the essence of that you know, age old question of, of parenting of caring about somebody is how do you let them do that? How do you let them go so that they can step up because they can't do it until you do. Yeah. And I think that that's a, I mean, it's, it's essential to star Wars, you know, the star Wars that sings for me, that's at the root of it. And I think that the star Wars that is present in the higher public, the, the tone and just the feel all of you of the luminous writers team have really got a beautiful handle on that. I mean, you think about, you know, the growth of someone like Vern and how Vern has grown and yeah, how, yeah. how actual little page time Vern has had with Stellan, who, you know, her master, right. like really it's, it's, I know. Yeah. Right. Cause you said, Ooh, I was like, yeah, oh. yeah. <laughs> I was even saying that, but yeah, that's <laughs> that too. Um, but <laughs> yeah, so it's, uh, it's interesting to see sort of how everybody, um, breaks out and sort of finds their way. And in terms of even one thing I love about the whole initiative is that there is, and we'll talk about the announcement about phase two, you know, in, in very vague terms, but the past is still there. And we get enough hints, of course, with our, how do I describe them? I like to call them a, a tumultuous trinity of, of Avar, Stellan, and Elzar. Uh, there's uh, a lot, of course, of like, oh, well, back then, well, back then, oh, the good old days, this, that. And we know who their masters were, and that information gets doled out over time. Cantum, uh, their master was Yoda, one of the you know, along with someone like Dooku, a direct Yoda apprentice, um, as opposed to all of Yoda's babies. You know, this was right, a right. on-the-job Yoda apprentice. Right. And their relationship with Lula, I think, evokes not stories that we've read or seen, mm. haven't had a, a Yoda Cantum flashback novel or something like that. But the, I call it Gandalf style, intentionally or otherwise, where Yoda will be like, I got to take care of business. I trust you. Bye. Like, <laughs> like that sort of uh, hands yeah. off. Like you have to believe in the heroes that you're shepherding 
where Gandalf has complete faith in the parties that he puts together. Uh, and Gandalf's like, they got it. I got to go do this. Yoda sort of not disappearing, but Yoda having to handle Yoda business right. in this shows to me a belief in everyone in his charge. And because if Yoda didn't believe in them, I'm sure Yoda would be way more hands-on, right. maybe even to a fault. And I think that you can sort of see a through line there. So when you write these adults that we didn't see their youth, are you thinking about the backstory that we didn't see? Are you thinking about what might have formed them and how that gets passed on? Uh, to some extent, not so much with Yoda because that just feels so remote, right? Like yeah. It just feels like it's so far away and it's not a story I've got any authority to tell, so I don't tell right. it, right? Um, but in the sense of, that's, I mean, that's what those Canton moments in Midnight Horizon are about, is like mm-hmm. looking at the roots of where Canton is coming from with their parenting master, whatever style, um, and, and rooting it in something, you know, similarly, to my mind, you know, healthy and, and kind of not, I don't know if hands-off is exactly how I describe it, but certainly like, because it's less like an overall philosophy of hands-off and more like, it's like a very specific and intentional approach, right? There comes a moment when you have to let go and knowing when that moment is, is an yeah. act of compassion and, and a very self-aware, it requires you to be extremely self-aware, uh, which we don't always see. And I just wanted to see that. Like, I wanted to know what that would look like in a character like Yoda, who I think is very self-aware, you know, overall. And especially in a time when it's the High Republic and, you know, there's a lot of different philosophies running around about what it means to be a Jedi and attachment and everything else. So it was this great moment to be able to be like, you know, what's this going to look like? Like, what does it look like when a a Jedi needs to take a, or a Padawan especially, needs to take a walkabout and and take a gap year basically and really figure out what their life is about and whether or not this is for them. I mean, I think that conversation really comes down to the the idea that, you know, what what, what Yoda says to Canton, which is that like, you have to choose the force, right? Like to be a Jedi Knight, you have to choose the force. And Canton's like, that's all I do every day. I breathe the force. Like, what, what, what are you talking about, right? Yeah. And Yoda's like, but did you choose it, right? You just, it's like going through the motions isn't actually a choice. You're just going through the motions because of what you've always done. And so for it to really, to make that choice, you have to take away something, right? Mm-hmm. So that you can then be actively be like, this is actually what I want which to my mind is also why Canton became the Jedi that they became. And certainly there's parallels to them being the best Padawan around and also not being ready. And, and Lula having to figure out, you know, what she wants. Yeah. And I think that you handle those healthy challenges in a really great way and with, with a lot of light and with a lot of love and the, but did you choose it? Like, that's such a, that's such a good parenting. Like, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. I understand. I hear what you're saying but do you hear what you're saying? Uh, Canton was like, ah! Yeah, <laughs> throws it back at them. And, and the way that, and that again, that's something that all the adults of the initiative face in their own way. I mean, mm-hmm. that's a huge part, especially of this back end of this first wave. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I mentioned Stellan, you know, light spoilers for Fallen Star. That's Stellan's whole arc in Fallen Star is, wait, do I know who I am? Like, right. I'm in my 40s. Did I figure that out ever? And you have right. someone like Orla Jereni that's like, no, you didn't. <laughs> and that's why you resent me. Comac, to your point, I think is another one who's really like, oh, well, yeah. what am I supposed to do with this? Like, but you know, yeah. Comac is so hard on himself and he doesn't let himself grieve. Like he really yeah. believes, and he believes it for a reason. Like, I don't think it's his fault. I think like there are hardliners in the Jedi order that are about that life where it's like, you're not supposed to grieve for people. Come on. You know, and he takes that very seriously. I think Comac is someone who takes his training to heart. Mm-hmm. Uh, to a T, you know, and that's kind of what does him in. 
and he was kind of like the original voice in the higher public of not dissent, but those conversations that Claudia established with him were very much like, hey, Orla, do you ever think about maybe the fact that dogma is not good? Like those sort of things. Like I'm feeling a lot of pain. I'm tortured. I'm thinking about our youth. I'm thinking about the things that I buried. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and with a character like that, that comes from, you know, because it's not like, like everybody's on the table for everybody but certain authors shepherd a certain character. So like when Bucket shows up somewhere else, like in Rising Storm, it's like, oh, that's, that's Daniel's guy. So what is it like taking someone like Comac or someone like Reef and saying, okay, this has to be my take. It has to be my direction, but right. it also needs to have the emotional consistency. Do you, is it, I'm sure obviously conversation's a big part of it. We know there's the slack, but what kind of things uh, are you thinking about when it's like, how do I take this, guy to a natural place right. um, when I didn't write quote unquote act one. It's, it's really hard. It was the hardest thing about Midnight Horizon, like hands down, um, because it's just one thing to create a character. It's another to step into a character. And it's a, also a whole other one. There's a big difference between a character like Han Orlando, who you, whose voice you've been hearing your whole life yeah. because you played with the action figures versus, you know, Comac who you met like a year ago. And you right? can't text George Lucas unless you can. Then, then you know, let no, us no know. comment. No. But, <laughs> but yeah, you know, this is also your friend's character, so like that's all too. <laughs> right, no, that, but that's what's so cool about it, right? Is it, that is kind of the not the saving grace, but that does ease a little bit of the stress of it being like not someone who you've been thinking in their voice for a long time. I think voice is the hardest part, right? Because you can have the nuance, you can have the larger beats of the story down. Those are very easy to bounce off another writer, um, hmm. but you know, what What does Reese sound like? And Reese sounds very different than most of my characters, which is what's so awesome about him being in Midnight Horizon and what was so challenging. Not to say that I have one voice throughout all my characters, hopefully, but um, they do have particularities that they share that Reese is separate from. And But again, that's what's so cool about it, you know, and about the higher public in general, and also about us kind of taking on each other's characters. So I struggled with it, you know, it was hard. Uh, Reef is a lot less casual than most of my characters are. And that's, you know, just on a basic note, that was one thing. It's just my my natural voice is to kind of slide into him like vernacular. Mm-hmm. And um, that's not true of Reef. So it was, it was great. That's why editors are great, to be like, you know, I don't know if that's fully Reef. Like, maybe he would say like this or whatever. And that was extremely helpful, um, in part because I was writing the book so fast. And I was just like, and then yeah. come back and, oh. But ultimately, it came down to his arc. And making one that really made sense to him and finding out, you know, what that would mean and what that would look like. And I think that's really what sort of stands out about each character and each story. Um, and also, like, who do you pair them up with, right? Like, so, you know, having Reef with a character like Ram, having Comac with Cantam, and, and what, how do they bounce off each other? There's so much exciting chemistry and fusion to happen, uh, especially taking their different arcs and playing them off each other and seeing, you know, what, what conversations would they be having? What conversations would they not be having? That's where things get really interesting and fun, um, but it was hard. Oh, it's, 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 it's the kind of thing where, A, I can't imagine how challenging it is, and B, as a fan in the higher public community, I mean, I think that, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure I speak for you and everyone involved that, like, it has been the bright, the starlight of, of not just online discourse, but of, of Star Wars fandom. Like, it really represents, I think, the light and life of the work. Mm-hmm. And yeah. and there's a there's almost like a mutual like shared sort of excitement and buzz in the reactions. And when those titles 
And when those titles dropped, it was right. like Midnight Horizon. That sounds rad. Like that sounds like an album. And then you know you you get the 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 cover art. And every time I see the cover, it's sitting over there. Every time I see the cover of Midnight Horizon, I hear Gangsta's Paradise in my head because <laughs> I'm like, look at that slow walk that those two yes. have to be doing. Like, yes. great. And when I saw them on the cover, and I thought, oh, Daniel's getting them. Like those thoughts about, oh, I wonder what he's gonna do because right. Reef is wound way tighter than Daniel's kids are. Like. <laughs> And like, that was one of my first thoughts is like, Reed to me is sort of not Spider-Man. He's Peter Parker in, in Star Wars in a lot of ways where he's like, oh, like my, my, my knowledge and my science and I could solve it this way. And my, my reading oh, okay, and, yeah. that. and that, that's sort of bookish side, but he has yet to, he's yet to get the put on the Spider-Man mask sort of swag to him. Like he hasn't really found his groove and he finds more of it throughout this story. And he, yeah grows up in a big bad way um and i don't want to spoil too much about it because it's it's our closest book release but fallen star i I can't promise that stuff won't slip out and then uh mission to disaster i've listened to because the audio dropped first but i know that's not out in print either so i don't want to i don't want to throw so much out there but uh the the journey that he goes on i think does sort of make him more of not just like a man but you know in those simple terms but more i think affected like there's a give take with the characters that you paired him with and those groupings it's not like it's not the first time you've gotten to do that i mean you had the crew of the vessel which were uh, right. other claudia characters in high republic adventures but yeah with the time of a novel it immediately i think showed through these pairings um mm-hmm. the strength that could happen with that sort of give and take and i think that it's um it's something that's really special to the initiative yeah thank you i agree with you now that we're talking about it, I didn't do this on purpose, but it, there is something to both Cantam and Reef's arcs actually parallel in ways I really didn't think about. But, but you know, Reef steps up a lot because there's someone smaller for him to take care of. Take care of is probably the wrong word, but like be a guide and a mentor too. Even though he's not his actual master because he's still Padawan too, you know, this kid comes along who's really struggling and like going through stuff and he's a couple years younger. And they're really good friends in a way that feels on the one hand very balanced and equal, like they have a friendship, but there's also a dynamic where we is the older kid and has been through more and knows a lot and can kind of take Graham's hand and, and walk him through some stuff. And, you know, that's also very much, without spoiling it, I think what Cantem's turnaround moment is in their backstory yeah the the relationship between them uh, i like that you you pointed out the connectivity that is there sort of at that base level before age and everything gets factored in because you see these two guys and these two young men and these their their interests you know you have the really bookish one it's really focused you have the really technical one they value knowledge they value intricacies so yeah, you end up with that relationship where it's like, we have that connectivity, but also Ram can look at him and sort of think like, oh, I have a better idea of sort of how to do this. You know, it reminds me a lot of uh, Imri and Vern, you know, where mm-hmm. it's, it is a master, but it's still a kid and a kid. Right, uh, right. It's sort of how, but you know, those, like you pointed out with that, show me these characters one year, you know, right. to Tony, like, that's a lot, you know, to a kid. Those couple of years between, like, from Ram's point of view, like, Reef might as well be a full-fledged knight, you know, and right. he sort of has that that air of guidance. But then, you know, uh, Daniel, there's it's not all fun and games in your world. <laughs> there's also noir, death, darkness, monsters, investigations, and there's no there's no nice way to segue from the wholesomeness of Ram Jamaram over into the world of uh, Emmerich Kaftor and Sian Holt because they're they're in the dirt, they're in the grime, like it's. It's creepy. Um, I will say shout out 
to Kevin Scott for the Lorna D uh, audio book, which gave us the lullaby that I hear now mm-hmm. when I'm reading Trail of mm-hmm. Shadows, which honestly, Trail of Shadows is up there, man. It's not just because I know you, not just because we're buds. Like that might be one of my favorite Star Wars comics. I uh, I mean, uh, shout out to, to Dave That's- Wachter's art is yeah. just gorgeous. Um, and it's perfect for that tone, perfect for that book. Um, tell me about the shift that happens in your process going from writing what are some wholesome family moments, um, <laughs> things like the Bake Off, things that, that have a lot of uh, mentor-mentee to almost what you described. Um, I forget where you described it. There's a lot of shows, guys. There's a lot of shows um, as this maybe not romance but there is a romantic quality there's a classic quality um obviously in the noir but there's also darkness and super science and eldritch mm-hmm. stuff going on so what is that change like you know it's funny you, you the transition being ram because ram is literally the crossover moment that we have in the great jedi rumble race right that's right he runs past them and both what is it hi, uh, hi, hi nice lady or hey pretty lady i've never met before. hey pretty lady i've never met his his that and his moment with porter uh in the oh. <laughs> where he's just doing like a uh, Mars! oh <laughs> that comedy yeah. is just perfect but, but let's not forget when crash walks in and he goes it's a girl yes <laughs> yes so many rambles he's so precious oh, uh, I, I, it's, it's, I, I have to point out it's not it doesn't feel like ego when when i enjoy these moments with you because it just really feels like these characters are almost writing themselves at this point like yeah like something that ram did and i didn't write like I know I did write it and I and I'm proud that I wrote it. But when I when it gets to, like a lot of setup just it's like doing the work of like creating the groundwork and then letting them run free. Right. And moments like that are them running free. Like that's what Ram would say. So I'm like, well, as you just said what he would say, what's what's the big deal? <laughs> but anyway, uh Trail of Shadows, similarly, I guess, like I, I really have always been a noir fan. I it's funny because I revisited some of my favorites in the run up to writing it and realized that all the things that I would have consciously pulled from them i had already unconsciously pulled from them Um, like you know having a musician character like having that kind of steamy jazz club aspect of it like um just the the balance of investigation with actual action and and war and things like that you know being all in the mix um specifically the two movies i'm really thinking of are uh the maltese falcon Mm. which i adore Uh, and i saw it as a kid and and several times since it's just so perfect and then um the hong kong action great that i just completely blanked on the name oh it's hard-boiled yeah hard-boiled chow yun fat tony it's amazing yeah i remember watching it i remember how much i loved it i was a teenager and so I, I dug it up again to rewatch for this. And I was like, it's, oh, man, I, it's, it's so, so good. good. It's, I forgot it's, that he's a, he's a jazz musician in it. And it's just yeah. such a casual, like, side thing that, you know, just happens to be true. It just kind of adds to the vibe of it all. Mm-hmm. It's not a plot point or anything else. And that's something I love about noir is that there's things going on that are just vibes, right? <laughs> like, they're not, not everything is, like, as intricately connected as you would assume. But at the same time, so much stuff is really intricately connected. And that's like the yeah. fun of it. It's kind of sourcing through all that stuff. <laughs> Which is also so Star Wars. And it's so funny yeah, where, exactly. I mean, that's that's so many big zeitgeist, Star Wars zeitgeist conversations of, and it'll always happen. Is that Star Wars? Is that not? But right. the 
it's just vibes that is of noir is also very star wars you know, yeah no, look totally. at something like at the time of this recording like i said up top uh book of boba fett's not done so just up until where we are um you've got a, a, a droid playing playing snare drum oh yeah, uh, yeah you know there's there's the great vespa controversy of 2022 right, are, right. are the vespas too colorful i don't think so but like it's those things that are uh yeah. why well because it can because star wars <laughs> always fleshes out the background of that one shot like there's it's it's lived in there's like and that's such a played out thing to say uh, no, with it's star true. wars but yeah but it is where everybody can attach themselves and that's again shout out to, to dave walker the the two-page spreads of that club like you could just stare at it and be like wow like there's stories happening in this yes and that's a power of star wars and it's a power of noir yeah. um that i think are really really interesting and and you immediately going into cn's world they're like, wow, there could be the the CN like novellas that are just cases, you know, of, right. of probably all of these right. creeps, you know? Totally. Yeah, and that's what I was trying to get at. You know, it's like someone who's really on the ground um, and feels at home there and knows it intimately inside and out, you know, um, as, as because it's her job. In some ways, there's similarities with Crash, I think, but she's much less chaotic. <laughs> yeah. She's less, um, she's less kind of like part of a team, right? She's very much her own um operator on a number of levels and 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 so is emmerich and i think that's kind of why they click in a certain way is that they're both really really good at what they do and they're used to being the best at it to the point that there's no competition between them there's no need to be like well i'm, I'm always the best at this you know they're just like right. they, their abilities are very natural to them but they're also very rigorous in their training mm-hmm. on both levels you know of what they do and that's one of my favorite kind of tropes is like two characters that are really good at what they do but are really different and they connect on that level of their expertise and and they just and it's very natural for them to connect but it doesn't happen right away <laughs> so there's yeah. kind of a, like you go on with them of, of them building trust with each other but i think to your credit not falling into the trap that you see a lot with those unlikely pairings of i work alone shout out to many different bruce wayne iterations throughout the year I mean, emmerich does kind of say that he has a little bit of it but he's never unkind and he's never <laughs> he never shoots down and that's a great thing with high republic characters in general he's never shooting yeah. down uh her input and and vice versa and there's a playfulness from her point of view that i think is great from a lot of non-jedi characters is that right. they get to look at jedi and be like Right. You're gonna wear that. You're gonna do that. You're gonna <laughs> you're gonna think about it this way. Like they, you're so aloof. Like yeah, they get to then, take the, the the wind out of their sails a little bit in a, in a good exactly. way. Exactly, and that, that is actually like it's not just her like poking fun at him. Like there's really practical applications of what she's talking about, yeah. and she's also poking fun at him, which is yeah. also. A practical it's like a double win for her right because she's like i get to try to get this guy to loosen up but also we need him to loosen up in order to get our job done they're they're both very practical people they just come at it in totally opposite ways which i love it i love the mystique that's built around them and particularly with emmerich just because we you know we cn being introduced here we don't know a lot about her life where she comes from and necessarily like you know we're getting her with an established career and we don't know who her investigative mentor was and who knows if we'll find out one day with Emmerich, there's the advantage for people engaging in him because we get the idea of, Oh, so he's from the, the, you know, the graduating class of Avar, Elzar, uh, and Stellan. And there's that relationship with them. 
and you even get moments in like fallen star of like i wish emmerich was here to to dig into this and you get to build up the reputation for this guy who is i'm a he's like i'm a friend but he also is one of those specialized people that I've, i love in the higher public where right. it's him or there's the you know they talk about way back in light of the jedi the the architects that helped build things like the outpost Al Frona, and then there's right. obviously porter has retired to become not inactive but mostly a chef he's he's not retired he's taken the taken a, a chill role right um, at this point yeah. yeah yeah and so everybody sort right. of has either a specialization or a path right um which we'll, we'll talk about in, in one second but i got before we get off of trail of shadows tell me and maybe you can't tell me much but what was the collaborative creative process like for the creation of the leveler slash nameless slash is it shri karai Mm-hmm. Karay, Karay. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the because yeah. it's interesting to see it get seated, and that for there was this great leveler in the rising storm, and then I believe Markian says something like it's not always called that in that mm-hmm. book, or or that's what they call it here, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, someone out there who's like read Rising Storm five more times than I have is like I know what he said, um, and that was the hint of like oh so is it not the great leveler is that just a colloquialism and then now moving into oh the nameless and we're seeing Utterson sort of define that what was it like kicking around this threat that is so arcane and and right. vicious and demonic yeah. um, that while so larger than life fits. All of these stories, it fits a noir. It fits uh, a big fantasy battle. It fits a, a crashing space station. It, it right. seems to work in all settings because uh, horror is good horror. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's exactly it. Um, I don't know what I can and can't say, but I will say that it's been, I would say it's the most uh, like collaborated on aspect of the whole initiative possibly. Beyond the story itself, obviously, like right. we all come together to kind of sort of do the big beats and and certain smaller beats too. But beyond that, like th- these creatures are very much like I they really so many different people just added input into it and turned it and took it from one thing and turned it into another and then brought this aspect and thing and you know as we'll see moving forward that play out. Um, yeah, I I don't think it's a secret that we've always maybe it is we always call it the nameless. That's what we call it internally, but that doesn't mean much except that that's just what we call it because it's easier i don't know so you know like i think the leveler is like that particular one right Um, that one that was frozen that was this large one that was yeah that's what i sort of gathered was like oh the leveler is the proper noun the nameless is a species like sort of breaking it down think of it um but I, i think it's also just a creature that's lived throughout history and been you know in lore for a while and that's part of why you know, there's just different names for it, right? So the name was yeah. being a name that's not a name, basically. And some people call it this and some people call it that. Uh, and that's why it shows up in Nursery Rhyme. Yeah, and that that's a great beat too, because, you know, obviously we, we trust our writers, but the when that starts, you're like, how could this Nursery Rhyme? And then you're like, oh, that's because the Nursery Rhyme exists for a reason. It's, you know, yeah. it's, not a, it's not just a thing. It was a thing lost to time, which is yeah. such a great fantasy trope and mm-hmm. um, something that I really enjoy. So yeah, I just, I just wanted to touch on those before we left it because they are so interesting. And, and like the Drengir, I like that the higher public not challenges the Star Wars thesis that we should be one with our natural world, but it adds a, a wrinkle to... That does mm-hmm. not mean the natural world is without natural hate, is not without natural evil, right. is not without natural 
um, ravenous, uh, you know, beast instinct. Yes. Um, Cause it's like the drencher are like, Oh, we're plants. We're natural too, but right. good luck dealing with us. Like, right. And it will spread and, and engulf your entire world. Yeah. And, uh, naturally. Yeah. Um, we'll do it naturally, organically, cage free, um, mm. all that stuff. So, uh, last couple things uh, to mm-hmm. touch on and yeah. you're always generous with your time and you know, sure. it's always we always end up having long questions and long answers uh, when we talk which is great um you've got the manga coming up which is yeah. another instance of taking the baton this time uh it's going from justina's side of things and coming over to you and you guys are working with a co-writer you're working with viz and it's it's this other side of the collaboration which uh manga typically you know, is released a certain way. It's usually, right. you know, read backwards per, you know, Japanese style. It's all these things. These are more, you know, they're releasing a collected volume. They're read American style, um, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. Just filling people in for people that maybe didn't read the first volume, which is great. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, Lily Tora Asi is, uh, or Asai yeah. is one of my favorites. And so tell me about this process, taking off this corner, um, jumping off what was already done and, and what you're excited for people to know about this one. First of all, it's really great. Like I, I've just been reading uh, proofs of it and it's like, it's such a fantastic story and I'm just so proud to be part of it. Um, the process was really cool. It's like none I've ever been a part of. Um, um, we would have Zoom calls with the editors at Mishima and just kind of go over some basic points. And then I would send over um, like an outline that I had in mind and we would bounce that back and forth. And then we go more in depth. and. It's just, it was, I, I don't totally know how to describe it because I've never been in quite a collaborative process like it before, but it was fantastic. And I, I just, I walk away with it feeling like, wow, like I, I really feel like I, you know, I was the author of that book. I was part, part of that book coming into creation, but in a way that I'm not familiar with being, you know, and I also mm-hmm. think Shima feels a lot of like that she really did that and put it down and, and made the language work and everything else. And that's what it should be. You know, I think we both feel that it's our baby just in very different ways. And usually when you collaborate, um, I mean, the higher public itself is a very, it's its own thing in terms of collaboration. So it kind of makes sense that there would be this little mini pocket of it. That's also its own wild creation. Um, what's been so cool about it too, is just seeing like, like I, I, as I do, as, as you've seen, and we've even talked about, I, I brought in a lot of my stuff. And Shima brought in a lot of her stuff and we put them together into one big wild thing. So there's some really cool crossover moments. There's some really cool cameos, but even beyond the cameo stuff, which is great fun. I personally love it. it whether it's in Boba Fett or the Mandalorian or High Republic, I think it's like one of the coolest things about Star Wars, but also like the, the characters, there are also characters who are more mine, who are really woven into the fabric of the story mm-hmm. um, in ways that matter. And, and it's just, that's such a gift to see you know, characters that someone else has established play off your own in, in a way that just kind of builds the larger story. I sent a, a just a really gushing thank you letter to the whole team when it was all done and I had read the final thing and I was just like, oh my God, like, it just makes it feel so real, um, you know, just seeing these these characters and these stories and situations play out. There's a way in which with that particular process, I had to really let it go in a, in a more concrete way than if I'm like writing a script, you know, I wasn't writing right. the script. So I was given like a lot of the story notes and beats here and there. So it's very much like, here it is, good luck, you know, and what they came back with was gorgeous, you know, just this work of narrative art that I was so blown away by and, and still felt really connected to as a, so it's great stuff. And, and, and for people that haven't looked at the first volume or, or you know, the cover of the second one, it is stunning. And then the last thing, this Bake Off issue, 
how does this get pitched? And in the process of it, are you like, there's no way this happens. Like, are, are you like this, this is too beyond like to do not, not to even just to insert it into the main arc for it to get its own one shot uh, wow. is such a great swing. Yeah, totally. You know, I got to give full credit to Siglane. Um, Mike Siglane actually was the one who pitched it, um, which is incredible. He pulled it from a thread that I had obviously woven into High Republic Adventures. And to come back to kind of the seed of our conversation, you know, these characters need to take care of each other. Like, that's really, a, I think, a guiding principle of mound work in the High Republic is that as bad as things are, they have each other and mm-hmm. they have their connection. And that's, that's what matters at the end of the day, even though literally the world was falling apart around them, right? So they have their yeah. connection. And so as part of that, you know, Zine lost her home world. She lost her best friend. Um, the world changed very dramatically under her feet. And she found people that care about her. And, and one of the ways that they needed to make sure she felt safe and taken care of was croissant, <laughs> whatever it is that Yoda brought. Um, and that turned into a running gag, right? Like it just started as this one moment, which I didn't know they'd let me even get away with, right? Like, does Yoda bake? I don't know. Store group doesn't care. Like at the yeah. end of the day, like, I guess so. And then, and then Yoda was gone. So Buckets had to do the baking and then Buckets and Cantan were going back and forth about recipes. And these are all just in like offhand moments that I had an extra panel or I just, you know, I just had a beat yeah. something to go in. And so it gathered storm, gathered momentum rather. And people were like, Oh wow. Like this baking thing is great. Like people were really connected to it. I think it's one of those back to the earlier point that you had about, you know, there's these grounded moments and then there's these very gigantic and epic and magical moments, you know, and Star Wars has both and that's what makes it great. And, um, and then finally, I think, you know, in terms of balance, particularly, um, this is always, we always knew this was going to be a hard time in the galaxy and a hard time in the fandom, you know, starlight going down. And on the one hand, there's like a two-sided sword to this. Like, on the one hand, I wanted to, I think we all wanted to, I definitely wanted to put out something that was lighthearted and fun in the midst of all this destruction. On the other hand, I also wanted to build up starlight as much as possible. And you'll see this throughout adventures to be a place that really feels like a home and not just a space station. And Mm -hmm. that happens through baked goods, it happens through cooking together, it happens through playing games together and and, the great Jedi rumble race, right? All those things are things that make a place into a home, right? Like people, you know, running past someone and be like, hey, you know, that's that's community, that's a neighborhood, but you feel loved and taken care of and recognized and seen. And that was an important thing to to me for, you know, to, to really, bring home that people's actual homes and that's why it matters the most yeah it's, I mean, it's ideological and literal i mean elzar um in one of many elzar monologues of, of turmoil says he lists a lot of those ideological things those symbolic things you took you took from us you know unity you took from us you know the light and all this stuff right but for, and that's the the advantage of you know no one has to read everything Every, right. everyone you add it right. becomes that you also took away the the location of the rumble race you took away the, <laughs> where these kids grew up right. like you took away yeah. like the kitchen yeah. and the the, yeah. the stories and the everything yeah. and the stories and that reese has that moment too when he's like at the very end and he's just like that was i, I don't have a home yeah and it makes me think of you know those moments of tragedy the thing i intentionally wanted to end with was something that i tweeted about which is the actual storytelling portion of this hit me in such a place um, because of the way that it treats uh, elderly people um, and the elderly Jedi. And we spoke about this on Twitter and we talked about it and I've been open about it on Twitter. And I'm sure there are many listeners that can connect with this on a different, on a different 
wavelength or their unique experience or um or maybe it is you know one-to-one and i'm about to say exactly your experience that my grandma suffers from dementia and it's far along and you know you have to take those moments of humanity that's can't be taken away right you still laugh you still watch things you know even if that even if to the next minute it's different exactly see cantum and the way that they treated these jedi retirees right you know that that first master in particular really felt like don't worry about me i you know i i don't have anything left to give right the way that cantum was like oh no 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 like you have everything i wouldn't be here if not for you you're you're a legend you're important and how important that was that felt very um so poignant and so thank you for that but also it felt like you injecting a little bit of like yourself and your culture i mean that's very like latin families definitely have that that togetherness and you know like my my family's puerto rican and there's a lot of like the generations matter and i think that that yeah that was just like such a poignant beat for it to to put in there but we went in there thinking like oh i can't wait to see these pastries and then i was finishing the issue like but the stories (laughs) but the heart which is such a great beat that's so great to hear first of all thank you for sharing all that because that really uh you know the things that people bring to the stories we tell you know it's that's what bring them to life on a whole next level, yeah. right? It's a lot to me on one level, whatever story it may be. Um, but then it takes on a new life when it hits the world. And that's what's so gratifying about the process is like seeing it, you know, mean all these different things to all these different people. And uh, we see a lot with Zine's story and just the different things that people bring, experiences that people bring to their understanding of Zine's story, which has been really cool. So, you know, hearing that from you is so great. And shout out to Vita Ayala, my co-writer. Oh, yeah. um, they really killed that moment. I think they, they wrote that moment. That, that The way we divided up was I wrote the frame story and I wrote Torben's part and they wrote Cantab's part. Mm-hmm. And then we kind of went back and forth and worked on each other's parts too. So it's all very um, collaborative. But I think that specific scene really was them. And they, they really did just bring home Cantab's just deep compassion and kindness and humanity and like just how real that is. And, and we don't see a lot of, you know, elders in Star Wars. And we, you know, we, we do, but uh, maybe not enough, I think. And it's just so yeah. cool to, to have and that. Sort uh, of... also, I wanted to have like a Jedi retirement <laughs> cruiser, right? <laughs> yeah. And it's got gardens. It's got yeah, it's beautiful. these beautiful bunks. And, and the way that it ties in to everything that we've talked about going back to the beginning about, you know, the unexpected pleasant surprise of Crash's family. And Crash's yeah. mom, like how Star Wars, sometimes it's, and I think maybe even Porter Engel was sort of the beginning of this in the higher public mm-hmm. of yeah, sometimes we don't go out in a blaze of glory and we just live like right. sometimes, sometimes it's just about, Hey, my, my sword arm's not as good as it once was. I'm going right. to serve over here. Um, and to see them just get a peaceful life that, right. that is, and, and before anyone thinks Yoda died peacefully, yeah, he died peacefully after a very tragic exile. All right? <laughs> that does not count. That was sad in a swamp. He deserved a good retirement home. Shout out to swamps, though. I think uh, Brandon <laughs> is very happy in his swamp. But let's also not forget Sav, who yes. is, um, you know, living out her best Puerto Rican grandmother life with her cafecito. Oh, she was until the Nile came along and blew up her house. <laughs> oh, 100%. Like somebody said to me, because I've been working on a giant and I'll drop it. Wave one is officially over after uh, Eye of the Storm number two. Right. I've fan cast almost every single character in the entire higher public. 
Almost every who single. Did for, who did you do for Sav? And so for Sav, someone goes, "Who's gonna play Sav?" I was like, "Oh, Rosie Perez." Oh and, wow, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> they were like, "Oh yeah, it is kind of like Rosie." I was oh, like, "Once I saw the, once perfect. I saw the cafe, I was like, it yes. has to be a tough, like one of our maternal badass figures." Sav is one of my favorite characters that I've come up with. Like, I, she she was originally gonna be the girl who's in the Addie Sunsey, the girl who's in um oh in in the um the and, VR experience the VR experience which is amazing yeah. and it, that was gonna have taken place earlier but it was too complex and it was like doing too much and I'm actually really glad that it worked out because first of all I love that VR game it's fantastic and second of all they were like oh just come up with something new and I was like no problem Sam Mulligan right yeah. and like <laughs> she became one of my favorite characters like I just I love her so much and uh, there's more Sav ahead. Yeah, I mean, oh, yeah, the, the Sav uh, Maz Adventures, just, you know, two two ladies that have seen too much and are n- no Fs left to give. That's just... No, they're both done. They're just like, we're yeah. force sensitive and we cannot be f with. Yes. Yeah, fantastic. Fantastic. Well, man, this this has been another great in-depth conversation and what has what has become a series. These are the, these are the, these are the DJO uh, journals. Uh, <laughs> as, he, as he comes on, we check in. I think we, think we covered almost everything yeah. everything that we're allowed to talk about right i guess as i throw it to you to plug um Ooh. if you can tease i don't know if you're allowed to you've played in so many things so many mediums comics you got your your books would be that YA, be that middle grade you've got your manga now and you've got all ages comics you've Ooh. got comics that are not adult like they can't be accessible but you know the marvel idw yeah. age age focus yeah. difference um do you have aspirations to do like oh, i want to do one of the audio dramas i want to write the next adult novel i want to do this i want to write a i want to write a rpg i want to like how how many things are you throwing against the wall um the best way to answer that is is uh that it not, it's not just to say you'll see but the, 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 what's true across the higher public is that basically if you're seeing someone doing something it's because they really wanted to do it yeah. and if you're not seeing someone doing something it's because they didn't really want to do it um, there's so much work in this initiative and there's only five of us and now obviously the team is expanding which yeah. is awesome and they're yeah. great authors coming on um, but but in general the rule is pretty much like it, you know people are doing what they want which is so what's so great about it um, so anything you see me doing is something that I threw at the wall. Good. Basically. That's good to hear. And again, the best shout, out to, shout out to Seglane for that one and yes, for absolutely. running that team. And I'm going to, I'm going to bug people until I can get Seglane on the show to ask him about <laughs> putting, putting together this team of bad men. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to aggressively tweet him, please come talk to me. Um, so man, to tell everybody about everything that's going on, uh, yeah. again, to put it in perspective, I think the first time I had you on, Flood City was about to come out. Wow. Second time I had you on, I think that Ballad and Dagger was just announced. Right. And, and now you can hype that up even more as a... As so a Ballad and Dagger is yeah. coming out on May 3rd. I'm, it's just such a book of my heart. There's so much in it that I... I just There's so much that's inside of me that I put into that book. And so it's so cool to just like have it coming out into the world. Um, sequel comes out next year, which is really cool. So that's uh, that's really the next big thing coming up. Um, beyond that, obviously, there's an original graphic novel in the High Republic era from Dark Horse coming out in phase two, uh, which I can't talk about. Although we may or may not have dropped information about that by the time this airs, but I don't know. So I can't. <laughs> but it'll, I can tell you this. Alyssa Hermits for figuring all that out. <laughs> it's going to be really good. I And this is, of course, you know, we, I, I decided not to try to dive in, but this is the 
time jump backwards yes, um, right. for this entire wave. That's not a spoiler that was announced. And that's 500 years? 150 years. 150 years. Okay, 500 would be too crazy. 150 years um, where immediately your nerd brain should say would be alive uh, because that's what all of us did. Um, but I, yeah, I'm excited for that. That's very cool. Me too. So yeah, good stuff ahead. On social, you're pretty easy to find. Uh, yeah, I'm at DJ Older on Twitter, at Daniel Jose Older on TikTok, at Daniel Jose One on Instagram. Uh, most importantly, though, my website where you can get all those things from one space is DanielJoseOlder.net. Uh, you can also find my books there. I have some online uh, writing classes on a site called Skillshare that are pretty cool. And there's a ton of just random stuff on that website, DanielJoseOlder.net. And then, as always, the the disclaimer: the only all ages one is the talk. TikTok, TikTok. I just I haven't been very active on TikTok because I've been so busy, but I do love TikTok. Oh, well, it is still G rated. I think that we could all give you a pass, considering you've got a, so. a human being. Uh, that's, you've got part, your, that's part of it. <laughs> your own your own Grogu that you get to carry around now, or maybe even Court. Oh, someone out there, can you make a crochet little skull for for yes. the baby? Do that. Yeah, that'd be great. Uh, well, thanks so much, man. This has been awesome. My pleasure. It's really been fun as always. Always a good time. And if there's yep. ever uh, an investigative news anchor reporter that looks like Chris Hayes in Star Wars, <laughs> you know what to name him. You know what to name him. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and you can find me uh, personally at that Alden Diaz, T-H-A-T-A-L-D-E-N-D-I-A-Z on Twitter and Instagram, podcast, Octo Radio, A-H-C-H-T-O Radio. That's the show. Mandatory and Creed just covered the Boba finale. Again, me now in the past, I don't know what happened, but you can jump over and listen to that episode where I will know what happened. And then <laughs> we can find uh, all the Star Wars Rebels coverage over not coverage, but the revisiting of Star Wars Rebels and the analysis of the entire show uh, with Nikki Kumar on our third show, uh, Rewatch Between Worlds. But for right now, for me, for Daniel, for light and life, punch a chew. Of course, be with you.